They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Well, Elliot, here we are once again before we do the final Rotten Tomatoes director matchup. I uh, just wanted to say, do you have any comments on, I don't think we mentioned it last week, but the Dune Part 2 film has been delayed. Do you have any comments or thoughts on this? No. I mean... I think it was delayed for kind of a silly reason because the actors being on strike can't do press junkets. I don't know how much business they were expecting those press circuits to drum up, but whatever. It, I'm not angry about it or anything. <laughs> just just going to have to wait. Yeah, well, we'll see we'll see what else ends up getting uh delayed if anything does. But it's also very exciting. If you're a real nerd, the Venice Film Festival is this week. So reviews are already out for Michael Mann's new movie, Ferrari. Apparently it sucks. And we're going to get reviews for, I think probably Yorgos Lanthimos's new movie is there. I think Fincher's new movie is there. We'll get a lot of reviews for stuff in this upcoming week. It'll be very exciting for me, at least. Well, tragically, no one cares, but what people do care about is the ongoing, well, the now-concluded Rotten Tomatoes Best Director to Have Debuted in the Last 25 Years Tournament. We've been playing along since round two, I think, or maybe round yep. three, I can't remember. And now it's time to decide. So, the last two options are Denis Villeneuve or Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I think we mentioned last week, too, that we were like, this is kind of, this is a no-brainer. Christopher Nolan is in my top three favorite directors, and Denis is not in one of those top three. So this is this is kind of a no-brainer, for sure. Well, the voting public seems to agree. Christopher Nolan clinched it with a surprisingly low, at least compared to his other scores, 56% to Denise 44%. Oh. So not a landslide by any stretch of the imagination. But Nathan, let's uh, let's have a, a brief debriefing on this. What do you think about uh, the crop of directors that's debuted in the last 25 years. Do you think that uh, anyone, do you see any like new entries into the tier, the Kubrick, uh, Spielberg, Hitchcock tier, that kind of thing? Oh, and are yeah. you satisfied <laughs> with this result? 
Uh, I'm satisfied with this result. Like I just said, I'm a huge fan of Nolan. I think he gets maybe a bit more hate than he deserves. Well, at the same time, you know, the the biggest guy in anything or the biggest person in any thing is always going to get a ton of heat. Like LeBron James is always going to get a lot of heat, even though he's, you know, maybe the best basketball player playing right now. Not that I follow basketball or have any support for that statement, but my conception of it. But yeah, I think there's a ton of other. I mean, I love Damien Chazelle. I don't think he necessarily has enough movies yet to justify (laughs) him being in the same conversation as Stanley Kubrick. But I think certainly in 10 or 20 years, that could be a legitimate conversation. Bong Joon-ho seems to be just getting better as he's going along. Greta Gerwig, it's going to be really exciting to see what she does, if she's going to make like some artsier sort of things or if she's going to keep going in a bit more of a popcorn blockbuster sort of direction that she's gone in with Barbie. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Peele, honestly, even Jordan Peele, as much as we kind of dissed him, (laughs) I think the last couple weeks, he's a really exciting director just because every time you watch one of his movies, you know, he's going to do something funky and new and something, you know, coming from a very authentic place of trying to make a, work of art or something meaningful which is always nice so yeah there's there's tons of other directors too emerald fennel is only on her second movie her first one was great her second one's also really good then you know we're off to the races bro uh maybe yeah i don't know i i tend to be more skeptical uh, a bit more pessimistic than you obviously Damien Chazelle is not in the Kubrick tier because he still has to beat the curve. He's uh, he's released too many bad movies for that. Although I don't love every Kubrick movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I think that there's lots of really exciting, talented people working in Hollywood today. Um, again, I mean, this if there's one thing that I would say is like, I don't know the mission statement of this program it's that there are there are great people making great movies today you just need to you just need to go and see them yeah the only thing keeping you in the disney sphere is you ladies and gentlemen of the audience yeah oh and he had to have been right on the cusp because I think Bottle Rocket probably came out in like 1997 or 98 or something. Wes Anderson is getting better and better with every single one of his last like four movies. And he continues to be, in my opinion, one of the most exciting directors for me to go and see his movies in theaters and know that I'm going to see something that's just going to be super funny super well thought out, super well made, and just a fantastic movie. I don't know if I've mentioned on this podcast before, but his new one, Asteroid City, is absolutely fantastic. And I think will definitely appear in whatever like end of the year discussion we have on this podcast, because I really, really loved it. So yeah, just got to shout out my boy West. I don't <laughs> know probably it. Whatever. Well, with saying all that, let's let's dive into the movie that we picked. Dive in, pun unintended. Hey, uh, let's let's you know jump in 
to the movie that you picked for this week. Elliot, break it down for us in case our audience is currently underneath a rock. What what is Jaws? What's the I've never heard of this film before. Uh Jaws is a movie. It's based on a book of the same name. It's uh one of Steven Spielberg's earliest movies and it is a it's the simplest premise imaginable. A Giant man-eating shark has appeared off the coast of Amityville, uh, which is in New York. Amity uh, Bay. I mean, Amity Bay. Amityville, whatever. It doesn't exist, but in this world, it is on the coast of New York. And a the town sheriff, recent transfer from a bigger town, a oceanographic expert... And a Captain Ahab grizzled sea captain type all team up to hunt the shark down and destroy it. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, just some movie history here. Jaws is widely considered one of, if not the first summer blockbuster, just in terms of how much money it made and kind of the vibe of a summer blockbuster that there's some explosions, there's excitement. It's not an incredibly complex film or a complex premise. It's just something you go to and you're like, dang, that was fun. And then you go and, you know, it was the 70s. You go and, I don't know, do some 70s activity. You go to the arcade. Nathan doesn't have enough historical context to finish this joke. (laughs) My initial thing that I was going to say, and then I was like, this is... Elliot would take it seriously that I didn't know this is I was going to say, go and protest the Vietnam war, which I know was not still going on in the seventies. Right. Or am I wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is correct. Yes. Okay. Don't laugh at me. I knew that. So yeah, it was, it, it's considered one of the first summer blockbusters. It was kind of pivotal to the shape of uh, movies to come in some ways. This and other movies like Star Wars and Airport and Love Story kind of. I just like bringing up Love Story because I think it's good. But yeah. So, Elliot, why'd you, why'd you pick this movie? What's up with that? I feel like we hear about the Steven Spielberg guy a lot. <laughs> Dude, Vietnam ended in 1975. Really? Then I wasn't wrong. I'm a genius, bro. Yeah. You're an idiot. You're the stupid one. You should have gone with your first instinct. That's good job checking it. A lot of times we just put the episode out with some blatant, like, dang, this new generation doesn't know squat. (laughs) They don't know when the Vietnam War ended. Now we do. (laughs) Okay, well... So I just chose this because I love Steven Spielberg. Nathan's a very low intelligence person, so he doesn't appreciate Spielberg for the master filmmaker that he uh, was um, and is struggling to (laughs) continue to be. Um, I actually just recently saw for the 30th anniversary of the film, Jurassic Park was re-released in theaters, and I, I went to see it in theaters. It was a great time. Loved being able to hear the T-Rex roar in that sound environment. It was really cool. 
But anyway, I just, I had, this is one of Spielberg's movies that I'd only seen once and I didn't really, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't like love it or anything. And I just through happenstance had happened to have seen some videos and some articles recently about Jaws being one of Spielberg's best offerings. So I was like, uh, oh, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll rewatch it, force Nathan to rewatch it and we'll see what's, what's what. So that's both my history with Jaws, having only seen it the one time and the reason for this episode that you are now listening to and might as well do first impressions. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to report that I'm on team Jaws now. Uh, I w- again, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't anti Jaws before, but yeah, I, I loved it this time around. I thought that the characters were just the right amount of homey and down to earth without being bland. They, they all had some quirk and some, um, I don't know, some small town charm to them, uh, especially, uh, especially the side characters. Um, uh, yeah, I, I love the tension building. There are so many great moments of scene construction that even though I knew what was happening, I was still like, ooh, ooh it's, it sets me all a shiver. And I, <laughs> the music is great. This is a very famous score from John Williams, and that plays into how this movie builds tension because Jaws quite famously had a very troubled production cycle, especially, or many of the problems unfolding from the giant mechanical shark that didn't really work and looked kind of trash. It didn't look very convincing. So they filmed it as little as possible, and John Williams' score acted as a kind of pseudo-antagonist, by which I mean it was like, it provided a lot of the presence of the shark. It would like tell you when it was on the scene and when it was when it was time to start worrying. And yeah, I just really loved, especially in the last half of the movie, when they're on the Orca, I just loved the interplay of our three main characters. I thought they played really well off of each other. And it's just such a fun, exciting, summery, movie-y movie. Like, this is one of those movies that I'm just like, wow, movies are so cool. Movies are great. Wow, that's oh goodness gracious. Um, like Elliot said, I'm not I wouldn't consider myself a Spielberg hater. I like a lot of Spielberg's movies. I just think that some of them that are considered classics might be a little overrated. And Elliot keeps making us watch the ones that fall into that category. He's not letting us watch Schindler's List, Last Crusade. AI, artificial intelligence. We're down here with all these other ones that I think are a little overhyped. And I, I have a similar experience with Jaws as you, Elliot, that I watched it once a long time ago. And I don't know if I would have ever necessarily rewatched it if you hadn't forced me to for this. Because, And here's my first impression. I love, I adore the first half of this movie. It's so good. It looks amazing. The characters are amazing. The story is great. It's so interesting and compelling. And I think it's fantastic. And then they get on this gosh dang boat 
and the movie's pace and my excitement for the film dies as quickly as a child swimming in a lake outside Amity Bay. I just, and we can get more into this kind of later, I guess. I don't want to instantly just start being very combative and fighting with you. But I just don't think a lot of the things that I see as the positive qualities of this movie in the first half are very present in the second half. It feels almost like a completely different movie. And that just really frustrates my whole thing with movies. And one of the things that I like about movies is when all of the kind of when every part of the movie is kind of clicking into place and I can clearly see the vision of what every part of the movie is kind of supposed to be doing in terms of an overarching idea or meaning or uh, pivotal sort of, I'm losing the word here, the goal of the movie, right? And I feel like Jaws kind of suffers from having this split between what I see as a first half and a second half that I don't feel like there's a lot of cohesion between the two halves. But I really can't overstate how much I enjoy the first half of this movie because it is really super, super fantastic. And I'm excited to talk about some of the things that make it so good with you before we get into talking about um, where we, I guess, disagree. Nathan, you're so dumb. You're so dumb. It's 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 amazing. Good lord. <laughs> you're such a child. I don't want to get into just name calling here. <laughs> but, you know, let's let's start with the first half. Let's talk about the first half of the movie, right? Cuz for the first I'd say like hour 20 minutes or so, the action is mostly kept on land in Amity Bay, that it's setting up the shark, it's setting up kind of some of the townspeople and their part in um, influencing the sheriff's reaction to the shark. And I think it's so, it's so fantastic. I mean, this is where there's a lot of good, really good side characters. I like the mayor because he's a very believably, you know, kind of puffed up local politician who has very little real power, but because he's a big fish in a little pond, he thinks he can just walk around and kind of get away with any, everything. And I like, um, I really love the first scene with the sheriff where he's kind of walking through town and it's a lot of long takes of him walking and you see all these right? Kind of small town folks getting their stores ready. It's July 4th weekend. So they're going to have a huge influx of tourists. So they're all excited and they're getting ready for stuff. And here's the new sheriff that everyone's being nice to this kind of small town, nice sort of thing. It's such a good setting. It's such an amazing setting. And it's like, dang, I don't want any of these people to die viciously from a shark attack. <laughs> And it's fantastic. I am such a huge fan of it. And I love uh, Roy Schneider, I think is the actor who plays the sheriff. He's so good in this movie and I love him. And yeah, so I think the big one of the big things that I really like about the first half of this movie is just establishing the character of the town and the character of the townspeople, which is done very simply through a lot of these early scenes of the sheriff just wandering through town kind of. 
Yeah, I agree. Like I said in the beginning, one of my favorite things about this movie is the side characters, and there is such a small-town charm to them. It's hard to put into words, but just the way that they conduct business and the way that they interact with each other speaks to a level of community that, for purely geographical reasons, you would struggle to attain in a big city like New York City. Um, There's a... I'm not sure what the noun form of homogenous is. Homogeneity? Is that it? There's a consistency to everyone in this movie that shows how they are tightly knit, small community, where everyone is kind of operating on the same wavelength. They don't blur together or anything because they each have different quirks that identify them, but they all clearly... They're all instantly recognizable as hailing from the same place in the same culture, which I think is one of the things that makes the the police chief Martin Brody, which is one of the things that makes his character compelling is that he's from the big city. He doesn't really fit in, and so he doesn't really feel comfortable asserting his authority as the chief law enforcement agent in this community against the wishes of of a community that he's not quite a part of yet. And I, yeah, I mean, I'm the way I talk about it makes it seem more like deep than it actually is. Deep ocean pun, hilarious. Um, but Funny. no, it's just a simple, relatable dynamic that is not necessarily relatable because I've never been, <laughs> never been anywhere except Indianola for extended periods of time. But it's an easily easily graspable dynamic um, and one that makes his character interesting and compelling and makes his uh, makes his struggle more understandable because obviously the right thing to do would be to like immediately shut down the beaches. The mayor doesn't want to shut down the beaches because it's a summer town. And so their economy kind of relies on the big summer boost from tourists. Uh, Brody has the right idea that there's a shark out there and it's supernaturally aggressive. Like in real life, sharks are not interested in humans pretty much at all. But he's <laughs> like, we should shut down the beaches to keep people safe. But he doesn't feel comfortable enough in his new position to make that call or to really push back on it. And it just it just makes me like him, you know. I can't believe I said, you know. Uh, I'm sorry, Spielberg. Please forgive me. But... <laughs> It's one of those things that sympathetic characters are always more likable characters because you sympathize with their struggle, with their plight and stuff like that. And I think that's what's happening here. And yeah, the mayor is a really good sleazy... I think you have the right idea that he likes throwing his weight around because he's he's a big fish in a small pond. And that's... I mean, that's the only way anyone could think that they could get away with the suits that he chooses to wear is if they're <laughs> drunk on if, if they're drunk on power because they're hideous yeah well and speaking of martin brody i think he does experience a very good a very clear sort of you know maybe not character arc but he has very the movie does a really good job of motivating him into each of the things that he does that he at first he's kind of willing to kind of go along with the mayor's thing because 
like you said, he doesn't feel comfortable yet in the community. And then his uh, his son gets threatened by the shark. And so then there's kind of this more personal, like, okay, this is more of an issue. And then there's the mother of one of the kids who gets killed early on in the movie comes and blames him. And it's clear that he feels some fault that he's like, okay, she's right. I did go along with the mayor when I shouldn't have. And I think the movie does a really good job of pushing him towards uh, eventually getting on the boat with Quinn to go and hunt the shark down. And, you know, it's very simple, but it's still right. It's still very well done and it's very clear and it's easy for all of us to watch the movie and understand why he does what he does as he goes through the film. And like I already said, Roy Schneider does a very good job of portraying this. You know, he's trying to be kind of cool and casual and be one of the community, but he's kind of on edge. He's got some of that big city, you know, you're wandering around in New York and you don't know if you're going to get mugged in an alleyway. I've never lived in a big city, but I imagine that's what it's like. (laughs) So, yeah, I really like the sheriff character. I think it's just another example of the movie taking something very simple and doing it very well and very clearly throughout the course of the film. Yeah, I think that simplicity of concept of concept concept and of execution is something that is often strived for but rarely attained without making it seem uh simplistic. Simplicity without being simplistic, I think is uh despite simple being part of it, I think it's a very difficult thing to achieve, but something that works really well when it is achieved, and I think that this movie achieves it very well. I mean, it is dealing with very simple, but again, instantly recognizable and graspable ideas, like the idea of being a transplant in a community that you don't quite understand, even like the idea of man versus nature. That's one of the oldest, simplest story structures or conflicts in the history of storytelling. And it's, it works very well here because despite their natural harmlessness, well, not harmlessness, but natural disinterest in humans as a food source, sharks are scary looking. And uh, I mean, they have too many teeth. Uh, their eyes are hor- horrific. The I mean, like Quint says, black eyes like a doll's eyes. And there is something primitively terrifying about the idea of a creature that exists only to kill. Now, that's a simplification of what an actual shark is. Like, it is not true that sharks just kill. They're a part of an ecosystem and they play a part in that. But certainly, this movie is drawing on the, like, popular conception of sharks and is, in many ways, contributing to the conceptualization of sharks in the popular mind like that the reason well not the reason but this movie played a part in fears about shark attacks and the move and they say that it's the movie that made everyone afraid to go into the water and yeah i'm losing the thread a bit here but the the point is that these are simple ideas that are just executed so effectively that it, it 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 warms my heart. 
Yeah. Well, and now to 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 cold your heart, to chill your heart a bit, let's talk about the the back half of the movie a little bit. Cause I just I I feel like Quinn almost comes in from another movie or something. Like he is just so weird and not in like a charming small town way, in like a what on earth kind of human being is this? You're right in saying he's kind of Ahab-esque, but like he doesn't have a reason to be Ahab-esque because the shark hasn't done anything to him yet. <laughs> Whatever, I haven't, I'm not reading Moby Dick because it's huge and stupid and it's terrible. <laughs> Nathan, you're so dumb. If we have a sec, if this program has a second mission statement, it's to make everyone aware that Nathan is dumb. That's so mean. But no, Quinn just—he does not feel like he's coming from the same vibe as the first hour and twenty minutes of the movie, and the last forty minutes of the movie are mostly spent on this boat with the sheriff, who I like, the oceanographer, who I also like, although I like him less once he's on the boat, and then Quinn, who I don't like at all. And it feels like we lose all of kind of the simplicity and the world building of the town and all this stuff that we had built in the first hour of the movie. It feels like the movie is just starting now for some reason, because if the first hour and 20 minutes was just to get Martin onto the boat, could we not have made it less time or something? Like, if that was the end goal, shouldn't one of those things be, like, the bulk bulk of the movie? Shouldn't it be, like, an 80-20 split instead of, like, a 60-40 split? That's how I that's how I feel, at least. That I feel like the, he, it should be committing more to one of the two things or one of the two kind of premises. Because it feels like a whole different movie. I mean, they're sharing, like, war stories they're talking about things like they were injured and i just i don't it i don't understand how it follows from what we had already seen in the movie and so it annoys me and then i just have less commitment to it as well as i think this is where the movie starts veering into like um straining my credulity when a, the shark as big as like the boat starts like attacking the boat and trying to break the boat apart, which I think is kind of a ridiculous um, thing that sharks don't do. But yeah, I just don't, I, I don't like the last 40 minutes of this movie at all. And I'd love for you to explain why you like it or why you think it's, you know, a, a meaningful part of the film that had to be this way. Well, I can, I mean, obviously I've been joking about you being dumb. Although, I don't know why you feel at all credentialed enough to go after an enduring, um, a classic of American literature. Um, that was just see, to annoy you. Well, it worked. I can see part of that, like, especially since, obviously, you connected a lot with the town and the, like, homespun nature of it all. So I could understand how leaving that environment would then feel disjointed. I do think I I think I like Quint. I think he is he's an Ahab-esque character. He this this is dumb from you. He literally explains 
when they're doing the war story swap, why he doesn't like sharks. That he was on the USS Indianapolis, which, by the way, was a real uh, ship in World War II that did deliver the atomic bomb and was sunk by Japanese submarines, leading to a lot of people being attacked or killed by sharks afterwards. And that's that's his uh, moment. That's his Moby Dick tears off his leg moment, I guess, that that's when he decides that he hates sharks. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's, that's 100% explained. And I don't know, he's just a, he's, 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 he's a cool character. He, he's a singer. I understand his backstory and his motivations. He's played very well by Richard Shaw, I think, or Dreyfus. Dreyfus. No, wait, you're right. Oh, yeah, all right. I'm just going to look it up. <laughs> No, Richard Dreyfus played Hooper. Robert Shaw yeah. played Quint. So we're getting our names mixed. Yeah, yeah, he's played really well. He's kind of a. He's not as tragic of a character as Ahab because obviously he doesn't have as much screen time as Ahab did. But he is kind of like an unfortunate character in that he is fixated on destroying this thing and eventually that fixation oh excuse me is what destroys him what destroys him as far as why i like this part of the movie i think that the interplay of all three characters is really good they're not like generically friendly with each other there's conflict there's development obviously we're moving hooper or not hooper Brody along to his more heroic kind of assertive moment when he kills the shark, when he eventually is the one who kills the shark. It's got that tension building that I really like from the uh, from the entire movie, the methods by which it like signifies the shark's presence. Like I'm a big believer in the idea, or not a big believer, I really like it when a character has a big presence in a story that doesn't necessarily correlate with a lot of screen time. So like, I really like when characters are set up and you just get kind of like hints of their influence. Um, something that may surprise you, I think that It, the book, does this really well of just like having little mentions of Pennywise or of a clown that does... It just does such a good job of building up, of letting the audience do your work for you, where they will build up a legend for themselves about what this thing is, and you just have to sort of, like, keep it just shrouded in the shadows enough to get them on that process. It's hard to do right, but when it's done right, it's done. It is really good, and I really like it when stories do that, and I think that we've got something similar here that somewhat by necessity, because of how terrible the shark looked, they <laughs> you don't really see the shark very much. You just see, like, the barrels in the sea, or earlier, when the two guys are trying to catch it with a roast, just, you see the big piece of the deck on the ocean, and then when it turn when the deck turns around, I think that's such a great movie moment of tension building where you're like oh oh shoot now it's going down so i think that a lot of that happens in the back half of the movie 
where you sort of where the shark sorry i had i'm i think i might be getting sick um the shark is sort of like the character of the shark is being built up because as they continue as they go along it becomes increasingly clear that this is not a normal shark like it's like you said it is very aggressive. It's doing things that sharks don't usually do. But I don't think it's supposed to be like a normal shark. It's supposed to be like a monstrous shark. It's supposed to be like a movie monster more than an actual shark. And so I like those moments when they imply that like when the characters are like, I don't know, it's so hard to put into words. But real. it's one of the things that attracts me to the gothic horror genre when they like realize the the power of what they're going up against like when Mm -hmm. they hook the shark and they decide to tow it back inland and it's like pulling the shark the shark is pulling the boat the other way and brody asks hooper like have you ever seen a shark and he doesn't even finish the line but hooper just says no like this is not usual and it does a lot to build up the character and the presence of the threat and I just really like that. So I guess that's the through line for me. The shark is the through line. And the, for lack of a better word, the character and the presence of the shark is what unifies these two halves. halves. And I think that they both have slightly different objectives, but they do them so well. They're both executed so well that I'm, I'm happy to have this have the movie kind of narrow its focus at this point i i mean i guess that's how i would characterize the back half is that it doesn't really genre switch or narrative switch it just kind of zeroes in its focus onto these three characters and the the threat of the shark so i doubt that convinced you but that's that's how i feel I don't. I mean, that makes sense, and you are right. That is Quinn does explain why he hates sharks. So that was that was my bad on that um, point. And I do agree with what you're saying in terms of the movie building tension. Um, I think the best scene, in my opinion, of this is the just when everyone's. I think it's the first time they're kind of at the beach the next day, and everyone's at the thing at the beach and they're all hanging out and then the one guy's dog goes missing and it's not like a huge deal and then right we know the shark's there and elliot's crying because he loves dogs (laughs) i was so sad well and then it's got right it builds up to the iconic uh trombone shot or dolly zoom on brody's face which is a fantastic shot and is such an amazing just moment of him like, oh, shoot, the shark's here. And then all hell breaks loose, kind of. But I just, I feel like it kind of has diminishing returns for me. That by the time they're on the boat, and by the time that, like, the third time the barrels show up, I'm like, oh, gosh, I get it. The barrels signal the shark is there. That's so scary. I just, I... I just think I was waiting. I was waiting for the the boat stuff to end, and every time it didn't end, I was like, "Oh, great, more of the boat," which is not, you know, it just 
when the movie starts to irritate me and then continues going, it it's a bad it's a bad moment, and that's you know a lack of patience and uh, kindness towards the movie on my part, I guess. Well, I don't know. I mean, people like what they like and dislike what they dislike, and if the movie's doubling down on something that you're not jiving with, it makes sense that your charity, your charitable attitude towards the film, is going to go down at a commensiate rate. Uh, for me, again, I think that The Barrels is, is it's a good way of continuing to establish that the shark is not normal, that this is an abnormal thing that they're fighting, because they establish early on that the shark is not supposed to be able to stay underwater for this long with the barrels on it. And so, for me, at least this time around, I saw... What I saw it as was like every time they added a barrel to the shark, you were supposed to be like, oh, surely this is going to be the one that prompts the climactic showdown. And when it doesn't happen, when it keeps on not happening and they keep on having to add barrels, you're just like, wow, this thing's this thing's so powerful and frightening, fright, frightening, frightening and intimidating as an antagonist. Oh, me, oh, my. That's what, that's what I was like. And I just I, – I really appreciate – when movies, when stories in general hold back, uh, when they really let tension and character and presence all build and they set all this up and they hold back, they're not, they don't like immediately jump to the good stuff. Like, I think I've mentioned this before, but I mean, this has very little to do with anything, but that was one of the things that I was so frustrated with, with the Obi-Wan show where they like, <laughs> are so eager to get Obi-Wan and Darth Vader into a fight with each other when I'm like, no, just hold back. Let the tension, let the anticipation build. Yeah. Gosh dang it, Obi-Wan. <laughs> wow. Weird aside. I'm just saying that's that's an example of this done poorly. Sure. Sure. I, I see what you're saying. I think that's true. Th honestly, that might have been how I felt the first time I saw the movie, that I was like, whoa, it could it could dive with two barrels. Ah! And then I just, I I was just more annoyed this time. So then I was like, oh, wow, two barrels. Let me guess, three barrels. They could do it as well. <laughs> I think the last thing I'll kind of say, and I do want to say that, um, because like six, the first part of this movie is so good and I enjoy it so much. I'm probably going to give this a higher score than you might think I'm about to give it, given how much I've kind of bashed this back half. It's not terrible. And there's still moments. I do kind of like the scene of them uh, sharing their scars. And I don't know if I'm, am I crazy? There's a moment where Martin, it looks like Martin's like lifting his shirt that he might have like a bullet wound or something. That there's just uh, no. I think that that's a joke. That his only scar is from an appendectomy. Oh, okay, that's funny. All right, all right. I thought it was way more of a character. Like he got shot in the big city, and so now he's come to the small city because he couldn't hack it. No, he just got an appendectomy. Was I supposed to be able to recognize the scar for an appendectomy or whatever? I don't think so. I the only reason I know that is because it. I saw it in like. In one of those articles about Jaws. Funny. But I think the other thing I would really like to praise in this movie, and this is something that 
um, Spielberg does very well. The cinematography in this movie is really, really good. It has such, like you already said, they couldn't shoot the shark a lot because it looked fake and terrible. So there's a lot of great shots of just people's legs that it's a kind of POV shot from the shark. And so it's just a camera going towards people's legs underwater, but it's really scary. And I love all the times that he puts the camera very low. So there's a lot of water in the shot and it just conveys this sense of like, look at all this water where the shark could be. And then there's a lot of really good, like lengthy, not incredibly lengthy oneers, but like one or two minute. There's one at the near the very beginning when they get on a barge and there's like a two minute, minute and a half sort of oneer where the mayor kind of asserts his presence for the first time in the film that he's like, no, it wasn't a shark attack. Shark attack. It was probably a boat rotor, you know, some ridiculous something. And then there's another really good one. Later in the movie, when some fishermen have caught a shark and they think it's the shark, and there's an extended conversation with between Brody and the oceanographer and the mayor, and it's another one where it's like a two-minute shot, and it's not, you know, super complex, but it's just a nice, it's a really nice way of letting the entire conversation between them breathe and letting the actors really act that especially Hooper, he's doing all these goofy, he's walking back and forth. He's clearly very, very frustrated having to deal with this stupid mayor. And I, I just really liked those. And obviously the dolly zoom is an iconic shot. But the movie is really well shot and it looks really good. I was kind of surprised by how good it looked compared to other movies I've seen from the early 70s that look just incredibly terrible now. <laughs> Well, I want to I want to again shout out the music. I love the score for this. Actually, after it was done, I went and listened to it casually. So no way. That's, kind of our, that's our benchmark for quality. Yeah, I I love when as I've said many times before, I love when music complements visual storytelling when it can it can tell you things about what's happening in the movie and I think that this is a perfect example of that. Um, one of the things that I always find so interesting about this movie is that it's a creature feature, but in many ways it's kind of structured like a slasher, that it's kind of built around kills, so to speak, or like individual characters getting killed off by a, for most of the movie, indestructible murderer. Um, I just think that's really interesting, and it's a really unique way to approach this kind of movie. So, yeah, that's uh, this movie's really good. I, I feel like I haven't – my rating isn't going to reflect – my praise for this film isn't going to reflect my rating because I just haven't said enough how much I really, really enjoyed this movie – on this viewing, I was I was absolute after this viewing, I was I was totally bought into Jaws as being top tier Spielberg. Holy cow, Nathan, you're so dumb. Why can't we watch my top tier Spielberg? Why can't we watch Last Crusade or Catch Me If You Can or something? I'm sorry are are you not are you incapable of choosing those movies yourself? 
We're not. We're not. We're not doing it. We've done like four Spielberg movies. We're not doing another one until 2025. Well, that's on you then. Anyway, I think we can get into ratings since both of us have said our ratings are not going to reflect <laughs> what we said in the review. <laughs> yeah, I think the first half of this movie honestly could be like top tier Spielberg and his top tier like popcorn summer blockbuster fare. I just think the back half loses me. It's not as exciting. It's not as um, interesting. It doesn't have a lot of the stuff that I was really enjoying from the front half of the movie. But this is not a bad movie by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I'm going to give it, I'm going to say like a 7.7 or a 7.8 out of 10. This is the first hour of this movie is really, I really, really like. I think when I first saw this, for the first hour, I was about to put this at, like, my third favorite Spielberg. And then the rest of the movie happened. Well, that's completely unacceptable. Um, I love this movie. Uh, I love the characters, love the acting, love the idea of it, the cinematography, the simplicity of its story, of its hook, and the talent that was brought to bear in executing it. I absolutely think this is top tier Spielberg. Um, it's just such an entertaining, exciting story with so many memorable characters. And we haven't even talked about the memorable lines. I think that we're going to need a bigger boat. That's a, that's a pretty darn good line. Um, and, and yeah, uh, this, this is a movie that I'm looking forward to continuing to rewatch with the same regularity that I rewatched Jurassic Park or Indiana Jones or um, Saving Private Ryan, which I don't rewatch all that much. But anyway, uh, I'm going to give this an A-. minus. Wow, that's really something. That's really... All right. Well, let's get into recommendations. Elliot, I'm changing my recommendation wow. from what I originally told you, what I was going to say. Instead, I'm going to do my personal favorite popcorn summer blockbuster movie, and that's one that I grew up on. It's Roland Emmerich's Independence Day. You're making a weird face. I don't like when you make faces like this. This is a great movie. I haven't rewatched it recently, but this was like, this is my dad's, one of my dad's favorite movies. So we had to watch this a lot as kids. And I just think it's fantastic. Will Smith is incredibly charismatic. Jeff Goldblum is great as kind of the nerdy, lame foil to Will Smith's incredibly charismatic and cool fighter pilot. And this movie has such a great sense of, like you said, simplistic without being simple, just really well done establishing the threat of the aliens. It's got stuff blowing up. It's got exciting dogs jumping away from explosions. This is a great, great popcorn summer blockbuster movie. And so I'm going to recommend it. Nathan, I said simple without being simplistic. Not simplistic oh. without being simple. That's a, that's, a, that's a big dunk on this movie. <laughs> My bad. Reverse it. Reverse it. Um, I agree. I think that's a really good movie. I think that there are some surprisingly competent ways that that movie does build up, much like this movie with establishing a threat and building it up. If you want to learn more about that, 
go ahead and read my review of Independence Day on the blog. Um, on the blog. Yeah. <laughs> Still the premier uh, space for contemporary movie criticism, I think. <laughs> um, I think nobody else thinks. Uh, but anyway, my recommendation is going to be along the lines of this movie's something that is like known but seems to be like might just be supernatural or something more something unusually aggressive and destructive also good use of tension building and a iconic threatening central antagonist and that's the original halloween uh this is by john carpenter uh it's it's his first movie isn't it is it really what the heck that would be amazing if it is and i'm gonna look it up we don't we're not we're not going to issue any more retractions because we're we're gonna we're gonna do this right i think it is wow it's his first halloween was his first like it seems halloween was his first at least his first like major release so way to come out of the gate swinging yeah this is a really good uh horror movie it's like jaws maybe like jaws it's a slasher it's about michael myers uh the man in the mask the shape as he's known uh well i mean he's as he's known in the credits of this movie nobody ever calls him the shape in the movie um but yeah i really like john carpenter i think that he does a great job of like with jaws of building up the threat and the tension uh, and the presence of Michael Myers as an antagonist, and it culminates in a pretty, a pretty intense climax uh, on Halloween night with Michael Myers trying to kill a bunch of babysitters. I mean, come on, man! Babysitters are like the purest. That's like the purest profession on earth. But anyway, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis plays an early role here, one of her earliest roles as Laurie Strode. Great actress, great character. I think Michael Myers is a really good, imposing villain. And uh, yeah, it's really well shot. It's got all the hallmarks of Carpenter's best movies um, and none of the hallmarks of his not-so-good movies. And it also has really good music composed by the man himself. John Carpenter quite famously composes most of his own movies, uh, scores. So yeah, give it a watch. Yeah, it's a really good movie. It's a classic slasher that I think holds up quite well. I think we might have talked about it before, like with The Thing or something. At some point we talked about it. But yeah, good movie. Well, hey. Better than this movie. Life is hard opinion. and full of disappointment. Shush. I need complete silence for when I say life is hard and full of disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> great glad you got that in it's like uh, do you remember so the, you remember the joke from the very beginning of 22 jump street when jonah hill is preparing he's like i need complete silence when i get into character i need i need complete i need complete silence when i get into character <laughs> yes those are good movies we should review those anyway thanks for listening to this episode uh we'll be back next week with another exciting new entry in the Magellans at the Movies canon. We'll have to come up with a new thing to talk about in the opening banter section, but we'll uh, we'll figure it out, rest assured. There'll be some hilarious banter jokes 
discussion between the two of us and then we'll, you know, talk about a movie. It'll be a good time. You know how it be. Uh, anyway, Elliot, do you have anything to say to sign off? I already said my thing. All right. Well, good deal. Have a great rest of the line, Bart.